everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Off the Record uh, Show. And I'm Aram Mukumuf, the host. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm interviewing well-known CEOs and venture capitalists about their entrepreneurial journeys, how they built businesses, raised money, hired rock star and pop stars, and didn't quit along the way. As a, as a founder, you'll hear uh, practical insights into their world, the psychology, their thinking, so you can apply it into your own company and get better uh, as, as you progress. Uh, today, I'm joined by... Afadi, uh, who has an extensive background in growth marketing and has co-founded Growth Mentor, a two-sided marketplace uh, a platform that gives entrepreneurs the ability to connect with growth mentors for calls. Uh, they started in September 2018 and have since grown it quite a bit, uh, mainly through free marketing channels. So I'm really excited to have you on our show today. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, let's let's start off. Uh, you know, tell us a bit about Growth Mentor. Like, how does it work um, as a business, and how did you start it? Sure, sure. So, Growth Mentor works uh, by matching founders and marketers, product managers with vetted uh, growth marketing and startup mentors uh, for one-on-one calls. So just kind of like exchange ideas, bounce bounce ideas, talk about their challenges, try and debug growth challenges. And uh, yeah, it just gives them an outlet to have really high quality one-on-one conversations. Um, so we, we started, as you said, in September, 2018 uh, and over 10,000 calls have been booked uh, through the platform so far. Uh, we charge a, a membership fee um, to join the community. And, and with that, we give uh, our members unlimited calls with any of the mentors that are offering their time for free. Uh, and if they wanna book a call with, uh, with paid mentors, then that that's extra. But all the mentors that uh, that join Growth Mentor, they have to do their calls for free until they get three reviews. It's what we call our give first pricing model. Uh, but most of the mentors just end up staying on as as free mentors because, um, as part of the vetting process, we make sure that the values are aligned and that they like, genuinely want to to mentor and help people and aren't doing it just as some lead generation uh, for for their consultancy. Um, so yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's, that's what it is. Cool. And, um, how did you come up with this, with this idea? Um, I mean, the, the short answer is just to, to scratch my own itch. I, I needed something like this. So I was, I was a head of growth, um, at, at the company that my brother started, uh, called EuroVPS to manage hosting company. And I wore many hats and, uh, I, uh, made a lot of mistakes and, uh, Ultimately, for me, what worked to, to get myself unstuck was just talking with really smart people that are doing at a high level things that I want to get better at. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, but uh, that's that's pretty much uh, it. There's another story behind it as well, like how oh. the, 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 the spark that got the idea. But uh, long, long story short, yeah, I was just trying to solve my own problem, you know, classic sort of startup uh, startup story scratching your niche which is always the best way to do it um (laughs) now i'm trying to recall but i think um might not be the exact same but there was a company that i was uh using kind of a similar service i think it was called clarity.fm by dan martell yeah Uh, this goes back like a few years i think they were one of the first people to do it funny enough actually became one of the advisors on on that platform uh, as a mentor as well Mm -hmm. um so what what made you see 
uh, growth mentor be a differentiator towards you know other other products already in the market? So Cl- Clarity FM, yeah, you're right. They were one of the pioneers in this space, connecting experts with on- those that are seeking advice. Um, and honestly, like when, when I first had the idea, I didn't know they existed. And then I, I was Googling around to see if anyone else was doing it. And I stumbled upon them and I'm like, oh man, screw it. Someone else has done it, right? So I, I, I shelved the idea for a year and a half because of that, because I can't, I can't compete. Um, but uh, then, I, then I thought about it after, after a while and I was like, well, these guys, they're connecting people on telephone calls and they're charging per minute. Like... Who's on the right. telephone in 20, back then it was 2017. Like everyone's on Skype or Zoom calls or whatever, right? Like doing screen shares, showing things. I mean, that's how I collaborated with, with um, uh, advisors that I would find on Upwork. I would do screen shares. And I was like, well, there's, there's got to be a gap here, especially considering it's that permanent rate. And some of the rates they were, I don't know how much money you were charging, but like if I, I was looking at Clarity FM back then, I was like, I was seeing $5 a minute, $3 a minute, $10 a minute. Some people, $20 a minute. Dan Martell, $83 a minute. And I was like, no yeah. early stage startup could ever afford this, right? Like, hey, $1,000 for an hour call. I mean, what are you going to do with that advice anyway, right? So it's like that, our, our gap in the market is going to be the people that like enjoy helping, right? And are doing it because it gives them a dopamine release helping people, right? And, and Clarity was very transactional in nature. And that's, that, that was our sort of like way that we could shoehorn ourselves in uh, and, and compete. Uh, so it was very much value-based differentiation. So it's really interesting. You you came up with the idea. You did some research. Then you found clarity and you know maybe some other options. And then you shelved the idea. And then it says you said a year and a half later you picked it up again. So like that's not very uh, common, I think. <laughs> what <laughs> what uh, what made you kind of like aside from the fact that their model was a bit different, but like it still takes a lot of courage and a lot of um, perseverance to still go against, uh, against the norm or against like, you know, some larger players in the space to go and try to compete with them. And, you know, you're competing at the end of the day against market share, against attention. So like what, what made you get that, that urge, that momentum to go and still do this? Um, I was Personally, having, maybe. Yeah. I, I, what happened is, I, uh, I had a call with this um, Ruby on Rails developer. And this was after I, I, I got drunk with my wife. We were having some beers and we we're like, all right, we can do this. You know, let's talk about it again. We were just having chats, right? And then we got really excited about it that morning. And I'm like, hey, Jessica, didn't, didn't you have that English? You taught English on, online on Skype. Right? That was her full time. I was like, didn't you have that guy, Machek? He was, wasn't he like, the, this Ruby on Rails developer is like, yeah, he has this this agency and he builds web apps. Like, let's let's call him up and ask him how much it would cost to develop a MVP uh, of something like this, right? And I, I showed the example of the platform that was very similar to what we made, but in a different adjacent market in, in a completely different uh, market called italki.com, which is a language tutor platform, right? And I was like, functionally, it does the job that we want to do. It connects people for calls. It's like, how much would it cost to make something like this? Like, oh, like 15 grand, 20 grand. I'm like, all right, well, that's not, that's not that bad. <laughs> like it was at that time I was thinking about buying this car uh, and it would cost like 20 grand. And I was like, I'm just not going to buy the car. I'm just going to do this. So it was a mental gymnastics. I play with myself. It was just the opportunity cost of cash, like for me. Yeah. And I figured if it doesn't, doesn't work, 
then you know, I'll just pretend that I crashed my car and I totaled it. You know, yeah, like that, that's <laughs> like that. it. Um, and so did it work out? Did it end up costing that 15, 20K? Did you it's bring that person times, on? I was three like, times more. <laughs> three times more? Yeah, it's always the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the reality. Yeah. And he told me, he's like, whatever I tell you, don't believe me. It's going to be probably double. And you got to be okay with that, right? So, yeah, I, I had to... We were very, very, very poor <laughs> for a very long time until we started making money. Like, hadn't paid my. It was, it was tough, but uh, yeah, I, I effectively went all in on on my own personal savings to to finance this, and uh, yeah, thankfully it worked out. Yeah, that's that's that is a mix of uh, I think luck and then also um, building a good product that people need in, in many ways. Very similar, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's really that's really cool. And so did that developer end up joining the team um, or was it they did it was D1 and house. then? It was oh, an outsourced software, software house based in Poland. So Okay. Interesting. Okay. And uh, what does your team composition look like now? Did you end up like after you built the MVP or like V1 through the software house, did you end up bringing it? Um, did you end up bringing people in, in-house to continue it or? Um, no, we just, we're still using them. They're amazing. Oh. Uh, and awesome. it's, it's, it's as if we have an in-house team. So we, we I have two full-time developers and one part-time front-ender. Uh, and I have a, like the, a project manager there. We have our weekly scrum meetings. So it, it effectively is as if I have them in-house, but I just have that security that they're mm-hmm. under the umbrella of this of the software house, which manages a lot of the, uh, um, you know, uh, bits and bobs. Okay. No, it's good. That's, that's, uh, I'm happy to hear you still in a relationship with them. That's always a good sign. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's rare generally. Like it's, it's rare. Yeah. It's, it's rare. Horror stories. <laughs> um, and so just out of curiosity as well, like, you know, as a founder, what made you go and make that decision that you were going to, because I'm assuming you're non-technical, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So what made you not go bring on a technical co-founder um, and, you know, do it, you know, with sweat equity uh, and they would help you build it out as a partner versus going and finding a, um, a dev firm to, to do it? Uh, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm technical enough to be able to, to manage, uh, technical people. I, I, I've been doing that for a long time at, at EuroVPS. So my entire team was filled with engineers. So, um, it helped that I did have those engineers as a, as a backup in case I ever needed a second opinion or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and my brother is highly technical as well. So I had that support group. And if I, if I didn't, maybe I would have made a different decision, but honestly, it never even crossed my mind to, to bring a, a technical uh, co-founder at that stage because I, I really did trust uh ragnarsson that, that that agency um and i, I really like that he, he actually flew to greece to interview me as a client before uh accepting to to take our project um so they, they do things in a very different way than most agencies oh good good cool awesome <laughs> um so i learned a lot about about your journey there thanks for sharing that um next question i wanted to ask was from what I understand, you did a lot of Upwork job postings for market for marketing consulting earlier on. How did these things work out for you? Um, did it help with like product market fit or figuring out the business? Like, what was the rationale for that? So yeah, I was I was doing a lot of Upwork calls before I started Growth Mentor with EuroVPS just to get 
second opinions on things I was working on. Because uh, I, I, I realized that there was an inverse relationship between my productivity and how much content I consumed. Um, and for me, the best way of learning is active learning, learn by doing, making mistakes, uh, hopefully less, less mistakes than, 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 um, than successes. But what I would do is I just jump on calls with, let's say I was setting up a, a drip campaign or, and I didn't know how to do something or, um, you know, wanted a second opinion on the Facebook ad campaign. Instead of looking at courses and stuff, I would just go to Upwork, make a job posting for a freelancer, say, Hey, you know, who wants to jump on a 30 minute call with me? And, and, and give me some advice on, on what I'm working on. We did a screen share, I'd show them, and, and that helped me get unstuck and helped me get, to give me that um, confidence that either I'm on the, I'm, like, that I'm on the right track, right? And that going through those calls on Upwork was really what gave me that first sort of taste of what it would be like on Growth Venture for people to do that. So that, that really inspired the, um, the, the product direction, right? Like and the whole concept behind it. So it's kind of like, the hacking together like i basically hacked together a grow like a kind of growth mentor using upwork in a sense mm, interesting and what has your experience been uh of upwork like a lot of founders i speak to some have really good experiences some have mm -hmm. really bad experiences it sometimes and i love upwork i think that it, it depends on on your ability to be a, a good screener and better like if you can do that then you have I think there's so many people on there. There's amazing talents and there's terrible people as well. Um, what I always do is I hire multiple people for the same project and I'll give like a, a watered down version of it just for a test project and, and the best one wins, right? So, what, uh, what would you say are some good tips for, um, I mean, you've gone through this journey. I think you did it the right way in terms of how you built the company, but mm -hmm. um, what tips can you recommend to first-time founders who are in the same position as, as you were uh, right now in terms of how to get their initial product idea off the ground? Like what, what things can you suggest to them, like top five things or whatever yeah. that they could take into account to be, have some sort of success in, in their business? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I'd, I'd say that the number one tip is to build a, a, a clickable prototype of your idea um, before you start talking too much about it to other people and asking them questions, what they think, their opinion, and so on and so forth. Because uh, it's, not, it's not hard. There's so many awesome tools out there available now that, that you can do that. And uh, that's, that's what we did with Growth Mentor. We spent one month and just every single screen we, we, we designed it and in, in in sketch and then we put it in, in envision app and we had little hot spots clickable so when, when we wanted to to do user research um it wasn't just hey here's a landing page and an idea right like it's actually this is the application and people end up taking it a lot more seriously and it's just so much cheaper to design um than it is to to code uh so yeah that would be that would be one tip but i'd say even before you get to that step make a beautiful landing page, like a pre-launch landing page and kind of like it's a smoke test in a sense, like fake it that you've got it and uh, drive drive a couple hundred bucks of, of Google ads traffic uh, with with buying intent um, to, to your landing page, put an email form that says get early access and get free for life. You will get early, like some insanely enticing offer. Uh, and then once they do that, what I would do is I would have a, 
a link to a type form inside there and saying, hey, to redeem this uh, lifetime offer or whatever discount you're offering, just please fill in this survey. We want to get some information from you. And at the end of the survey, the last question, make it like, hey, is it okay, yes or no, if we jump on a call right, to talk about this? And yeah, and just talk to them, record the, 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 the conversations, transcribe it, uh, and um, then do some quality of coding on it and just see if you can find themes, uh, pain points, common pain points, the strongest ones, kind of prioritize them. And uh, that should give you a good sense of whether this is something that you should invest more time in or not. And so what's like a litmus test that you would recommend to founders who are going through that process and they've done the interviews and then it's like, okay, well, how do I know if this is a go or no go decision? You have to trust your gut to a certain degree. For me, like I just knew because it was such a strong pain for me. And I'm just like a normal dude like everybody else. And like probably all the people would have it as well. Uh, I, I don't, I, I can't with a straight face, say an answer to a litmus test. I think that it really is situational. Um, but I mean, if, if you see that your, your, your approach is highly differentiated from all the other existing alternative solutions in the marketplace, and, and you think that you have the technical capabilities to actually pull this off uh, to a point where it's reasonably competitive to the you know, incumbents out there, then just, yeah, go for it. And um, a lot of things that I've been coming across is when founders speak to their target audience, you know, a lot of their users saying, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use your product when you have this, or I'll start paying for it when you have why. Um, <clears throat> how do you set that kind of ceiling where, you know, when you speak to those people and, you know, you have to make money for a business, you have to survive, you have to make a living if you do this full time. Yeah. <laughs> how do you kind of determine or ask the question about how much would you pay for this or, um, what would be required for you to become a paying client kind of thing? Yeah. How did you go about that? In the for us, it was free. To, to join the platform in the beginning. So it really wasn't uh, a question that I asked early on because um, our initial idea was to do a commission-based model at Clarity.fm. But when I did start asking those questions later, when we moved to a, um, to a, um, a membership uh, um, a, a monetization model, the answers that I was getting were wildly, like there was so much variation, right? Like. Some people were saying I'd pay $1,000, other people were saying I'd pay $100. Uh, and you just do enough of these calls and ask enough people and you kind of figure out what a baseline average is. And then I would just like divide that by four because <laughs> people always exaggerate what, what, they're, what, what, what they'd be willing to pay. Okay, okay, cool. Um, and I know with uh, Growth Mentor, you really um, focused on a community aspect you know, in the business uh, mm -hmm. success. How did you go about approaching um, creating a community uh, from the ground up? What did you do? How did you do it? So the community at Growth Hunters is really unique in that it's, it's all centered around the core values of like people helping people and humility and uh, active learning, right? So learning by doing. And that it, it kind of mirrors our, our core values. And it's very important if you're setting up a community from the beginning to be cognizant of what your core values are, right? You have to, you have to stand for something, um, I think, early on. But once you get that out of the way and you start getting people on uh, your community, 
you need to really take a hands-on approach with them. This is not easy. It's not uh, like a, a channel or anything, right? This is a, a full-time sort of uh, engagement. You can spend many hours talking to these people, trying to help them uh, match with other people in the community, which is something that I think is a big contributing factor to our success is that one-to-one -one personalized nature of matchmaking, right? So anyone that joins Growth Mentor, like I'll jump on a 15-minute call, although it mo many times it goes up to like 30 minutes and I don't mind, whatever. Um, and I just listen to their, to their story, right? Like what, what's their challenge, their pain points and, uh, give them personalized suggestions, right? Like that things that, that don't really scale, um, are incredibly important. Uh, and, um, having, if you're starting a community, a lot of people now think that let's start a community for our product, but like, what, what are they going to talk about? Like, what, what are some of the topics? And so, if, if that's something on your mind, making a community, make a list of like 40, 50 different talking points that you think could, could happen on, on the platform, on your, on your Slack or wherever you decide to put it, circle.so, whatever, uh, and just be present on the channels and engaging, asking people's opinions on things. It, uh, it, it's a lot of hard work, right? so it's not something to be taken lightly. And uh, how did you start, what things did you do that were successful actions that led to your community to grow and, and, and flourish? For us, it was just the social proof angle of it. Like what we did is we, we made this Slack bot where every, every review that a mentor got, it got piped into a Slack channel called real-time reviews. So everyone on, in the Slack community would see the review and then the mentor who got it and it just reminded them of the value that the community was offering. And it was also a bit of a growth loop because they'd see a review that similar to a pain point that, that they're having a conversation, like on a topic that they're interested in, they click in, they'd see the mentor and then they'd be like, Oh wow. You know, I, <laughs> this guy looks cool. Right. So and they go to call. Uh, and then the mentors love that as well, because that's, that's a big reason why, why they mentor it's, it's for that uh, social proof and, and not even social proof, just like that internal proof as well that, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Like I'm good. Right. So, so a lot of imposter syndrome around, uh, with people that are generally highly intelligent, the more intelligent you are, I think that you, you have that more often than, than, than the lesser so's. Uh, so being able to be reminded that, that, you know, your stuff and you're appreciated and, and, and people like, uh, your, your attitude and approach is, is something very valuable. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I really like that idea with the bot uh, throwing up the reviews in real time. It's good. Like instant kind of gratification, validation, yeah. and uh, visibility, right, for everybody in the community. Um, right now, I think you're in a good growth spot with the business from, from what I know. Um, are you considering, like, you know, from a funding perspective, are you staying down the bootstrapped approach? Are you considering raising any external capital? I always like this question because like people raise money for different things or to, for different reasons. It's always like unique for each situation, but I feel like you've really taken down the bootstrapping approach. And I wanted to ask, to ask why, you know, why'd you do it yeah. this way? I mean, the reason why I did it this way in the beginning is because I, I didn't have any real reason why an investor would invest in me. I didn't have that, that social proof. Right. And I was like, why I wouldn't invest in me with some idea. So I didn't even bother thinking about it. Right. I was just trying to like kind of pragmatic about it. Like why, why would someone invest in me when I have zero MRR? Right. And it's like, there's so many other companies so that are investable. 
And then we started growing. And it was then my mindset changed. I was like, well, why should I get an investor now and, and get pegged to a, a low valuation when I know I'm growing right now and they can always I just wait a little bit longer, you know, I can double my valuation. And then like then I kept waiting. And then it gets got to the point where it's like, well, I forget about the valuation. I'm making like enough revenue right now that I I don't really even know what what to do with like what am I gonna invest in next kind of thing. So I it just got to that point where it's like the the best spot to be in where you literally don't, you wouldn't even know what to do with that money if you had it kind of thing, right? Like if somebody can say here, take $10 million in funding, like I, I would do literally nothing different than what I'm doing right now. So I, I'm just not interested at all in, in, in getting funding. And also because I just don't want anyone to tell me what to do. It's a very personal thing. You know, I just, I just like having that autonomy and, and doing things my way. You know, I'm not embarrassed to say it. <laughs> That's good. No, we've spoken to a few founders as well who um, were of a similar type of mindset as well. And I think it's like, it really is case by case. And I think at the end of the day, it's like when you give up equity in the company, you lose control, you lose direction and, and, uh, uh, you know, you start reporting to somebody with like your actions and things like that. So my recommendation always to always founders that we, we chat with is try to bootstrap it whatever way you can until you get to that point where um, you've grown the business to a, a point where you have product market fit, you have a good MRR, say, I don't know, 20, 30,000 MRR a month. Um, so on the point of like um, talking about fundraising, um, what what for you is currently like the long-term vision for the company? Would you ever consider fundraising or you want to keep this totally bootstrapped? And in general, like where do you see the company going? Yeah. So we, we tend to keep things in a three month uh, zoom out because we used to, we, we've made many plans in the past product related product strategy, product roadmaps, and they've generally never panned out exactly like we thought because we get new ideas all the time from talking to our users uh, so like I can answer the question, like what, where, where do I see this be six months down, down the line, but I think it's reflective of the overall sort of long-term vision. And that's, that's to build more community features within the actual, um, a- application so that it's not just, um, a, 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 so that the functional job isn't just relegated to, Hey, how can I book a call with a mentor, but more like, how can I also, um, find peers that are, might not be growth mentors, but might be other members of the platform to find someone to potentially be a co-founder with, or maybe collaborate and do co-marketing opportunities, or find someone just to, to, to be a brainstorming partner. So we're, we're, we just recently launched this feature called Community Within Growth Mentor, whereby the mentees have profile pages as well. And uh, they can message each other, they could see um, what uh, what uh, sort of networking uh, objectives they've got uh, and uh, just sync up, right? So there's a lot of goodwill that's been pent up within the community from the mentors helping people uh, for free, which like now the mentees are like, well, how can I give back as well? How can I pay it, pay it forward? And it's this kind of contagious, this vibe of like just people helping people. So our answer from a product perspective is, well, do you want to repay it? Well, help, help somebody else out. You know, that's, that's, that's our long-term vision, like creating the most helpful community on the planet for uh, founders and, and marketers. 
um, that's not just a community of like this asynchronous sort of like messaging thread system like Quora and Slack and all that, but more of a like, all right, less is more sort of concepts whereby we're just being a catalyst for like really awesome one-on-one genuine connections. Because I think that's what social networks are lacking, right? It's that real sort of genuine connection on a one-on-one level. And like, we're never going to become better from a product perspective to some of the other um, platforms out there uh, specifically made for, for messaging and, and whatnot. But like that, that the vetted nature of, 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 of growth mentor, I think is very conducive to just being a, um, a, a hotbed for, for just really awesome connections with, with people like, like almost like a cat- catalyst for serendipity. I like, I like to say. Because uh, you never really know what what's going to happen off off of the backs of of meeting somebody, um, you know, on, on a thirty minute call. I, I think it's ever more relevant now than ever with this whole like re- work remote and people are just itching for 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 networking and meeting people. But there's just so much noise out there, so that's that's kind of the problem that that we're trying to hopefully solve in the coming uh, years. Yeah, and. Um... Talking about like noise and uh, distractions, how do you keep your community focused and engaged and having like removing the clutter or, you know, the things that can ruin a community? Like what, what would you recommend as uh, some options there? So when, when I, in terms of community, there's, there's two aspects of community at Growth Puncher. There's the Slack community, and then there's the community within the actual application, right? So mm-hmm. um, we're, as a long-term sort of vision, we're trying to move the community off of the Slack and onto um, our actual application, right? So uh, some of the things that, that, that we're trying to do to, to keep the, the, the noise out is um, don't give too many ways that people can 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 network right and focus it on 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 what we call the help request functionality so help request is where a a mentee can basically say hey i want help with xyz right and then mentors apply to it and say hey i can help you with this right so recently we just allowed everyone in the community even mentees to be able to apply to help requests uh, so it's kind of a growth loop to get people to interact mm-hmm. with each other, all centered around, though, that centers that, that core thesis of, hey, I need help. And then there's another person on the other side saying, yeah, well, I'm I'm willing to give it right because I, I have the skills that you lack kind of thing. Right. So let's let's chat. Um, so, again, more of that, like less is less is more sort of mentality. Of, yeah, keeping right. it focused. No, it's great. I, I like how everything circles back around the pay it forward mentality, which I think is uh, the key thing in a community. So awesome job on making that work. Um, you mentioned that you work in three month windows. I'm curious, like <laughs> from like a product perspective in terms of road mapping, how do you determine what you're going to work on next? How do you prioritize on, on the next feature set in terms of like what's going to be yeah. the ROI on it or, or impact? We, um, this, I'm not going to pretend to be cool and, and come up with some framework like ice or whatever. We basically just wing it. We have conversations, me, Jessica, a lot of the mentors, uh, and, uh, we just talk to a lot of people and kind of piece the pieces together and, and, and we have brainstorming sessions and we, and we just like literally talk it through. Right. And by the end of it, we're just taking notes 
And we're like, all right, let's write down that idea, that idea. And we kind of prioritize it in real time. And then at the end of these sessions, like it's distilled down this one pager of like what, what we're going to do next kind of thing. And this, we usually do these once every six weeks or so, um, because it takes, we do like these, these cycles where we do three months building and then we want to like pause for a bit for two months and promote and market those features. Um, and like have enough time to actually see the data of product usage from those features before jumping immediately into something else, right? Because I, I, I don't believe that you have to always be building and always be releasing features. Like you see some of these change logs that some of these SaaS startups have and it's mm -hmm. insane, like every two weeks. And there's this like feeling like you also have to do it to keep up with the Joneses, right? Like always be deploying stuff. But I think it's totally cool to just sit, sit on your laurels for three months reflect market what you've already built because you've spent all this dev resources building this thing it's like well what you need to have a go-to market strategy for every epic that you that you work on right like you sick like for us it's it's that three three month period right like recently we released a new um uh integration with google calendar for the calls and like we're we still haven't even scratched the surface yet of, of, of marketing that and the community uh prof mentee profile pages filtering by networking objective like that that's going to take some time for us to to properly promote right so uh and in the meanwhile it, we just keep talking to people and 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 uh the dots end up connecting uh, so no magical formula here just winging it kind of <laughs> No, I think I think the magical formula really is is speaking to your customers. Okay. Period. Yeah. All right. So I guess it's like, I did say magic. I know it's not rocket science at the end of the day. I think a lot of companies, a lot of founders constantly get into the sometimes this like tunnel vision or innovators dilemma, like, oh yeah, I know what's best. And they don't speak to anybody. Yeah. Um, but just like channeling a lot of uh, knowledge with your community and with your target users. I think that's how like a lot of businesses successfully are, are built. So yeah, we need, we need more of that. And I think, I think what you're doing is right. Cause it's working. So great work. Um, I'm going to wrap up with some, some questions I always like asking everybody. Um, first one is tell me something that's true that almost mm -hmm. nobody agrees with you on. Ooh, this is a, this is a, a good one. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd say that, teams are overrated it's like building a good awesome team uh, um, i think that there's a lot that, that you can do without building a big team just by upskilling yourself and leveraging freelancers and the reason why is I, not to say that you shouldn't have a team right we we have a, a team um, albeit a very small one but it's still there but that that took like two years to build up like we made our first full-time hire like i don't know four months ago it was just me, Jessica, and our outsourced developers doing literally everything. Um, but if you have, there's a lot of pressure to build team in these, and a lot of propaganda around it, right? And I think it, it gets people thinking that they need to raise money to hire these people because, and then that gets them down that VC rabbit hole thing, right? Because I, I need to raise money to be able to get a team because I need a team in order to do X, Y, Z, right? And build this awesome thing. But I, I just don't think that's, that's true. And the reason I'm saying that is because like we've proven that it's not, it's just been like two people. We have uh, 10,000 calls booked and like insane reviews. Right. So like people like the product, it works. Um, but you, the, 
the challenge with that though is that you have to if you want to do the non-team thing yeah great it gives you extended runway so you don't have to go down that rabbit hole of raising funding but you have to wear many hats it's extremely difficult um and you have to upskill yourself in, in many different areas and, and do everything as much as you can until you realize all right well i'm really good at this and i'm kind of good at this yeah but i don't like doing that so like let me find that freelancer for that bit like going through that that introspective um journey uh to to figure out really what it is that, what holes you need you need plugged and doing it in a lean kind of way um leveraging the the gig economy i think that it's 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 extremely powerful and like if imagine 1985 right you told some entrepreneur that he could go on this one, he could look at the screen and he could push a button and then he could hire like the best person on the planet for like this job that he's suffering to find someone in his local city for like his mind would explode, right? Yet we're still chasing the same classic methodology of like, I need to hire someone full time, pay $100,000 a year, right? And it's because that's the rates now. There's all this free money floating around from the VCs that the salaries have just like inflated big time. So I just, I just don't think that you really need a team. Like, at least early on until you get product market fit and hit, like you said, that 20, 30 grand a month, Mark. Well, that leads into my last question. And I think you touched <laughs> upon something which is interesting. I think more and more successful people um, are generalists, like jack of all trades, you know, the ones mm -hmm. that are good at a lot of different things, but not exceptional at one specific thing. So my last question is, what would you advise a 30-year-old self? Ooh, a 30 year old self. I mean, when I was 30, I, 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 and I was like five, five, six years ago, like I, I was over analyzing everything and trying to do like three, four variations of the same thing and getting feedback because I didn't have confidence. And like, I would tell him to just do it one variation, execute, and then spend that extra time that you would have spent over analyzing. Uh, and spend more time at the gym, out in nature, quality time with your family, because, you know, we're getting older and like, we're not going to be able to do the same things that we can do now when it, 10 years pass, right? Like life's not all about growth, right? Like, it, it, like monetary growth, right? It's about growth altogether as a human being and also as a, as a business person, but just don't, don't lose track of like the things, the small things that, that, that we, that we take for granted. I, I waste a lot of time in my, my early thirties, just like clicking around, you know, like staring at the screen for like, it's just like forcing things, you know, and, and I, I, I'm slowly starting to wean myself off of that that uh, sort of mentality that you have to be in front of the screen working in order to be worthy of something, right? Like there's this thing that we're always chasing, right? It's, uh, I don't know, I, I think a it's lot of- endless. Kind of, it's endless. It, it's endless, yeah. Yeah, I think switching off as an entrepreneur is very difficult and uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm married, I have three kids. When I came home, I'm really always trying my best to be like, okay, switch off work, focus on you know bigger important things in my life but it's just so challenging sometimes because you're always thinking about it yeah um cool i think that was super informative uh, thank you so much for participating um in our show today <laughs> um but for everybody listening uh, this was another off the record episode um it's a podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and investors around it so they can help each other build better businesses and uh thanks again again uh sorry thanks again for listening and uh, I really appreciate your time again. Thank you so much. <laughs>